On this week's episode, we continue our discussion with Erica Rickson about the Smashing Pumpkins. This is The Operative. I'm your host, Chris Williams. You eventually got uh, melancholy, I assume. Yeah. And uh, and then, so, were you playing in, in bands at this point, or? So, so my high school, um, I moved around a lot as a kid and I ended up, when my mom got remarried when I was in middle school, um, or just about to go into middle school, which is when I discovered the pumpkins. Um, we moved to this like much wealthier area that I was very intimidated by. We had this like, you know, cookie cutter house that was built to to spec, you know, like weird cul-de-sac off of a major highway, like not charming, very, very much like this is what success looks like, um, <laughs> which I attribute to my stepdad, but uh, he really wanted the image of like, this is what, you know, the family is supposed to look like. And it was just very plastic and, um, and you know, further withdrew me into my, uh, my alternative rock <laughs> uh, angst. Um, but uh, I just, I just remember thinking like, I remember thinking that I couldn't really relate to anybody in my school. I didn't, I, I felt um, really, really like, I think I, I didn't know what anxiety was at that time. Like I had no idea. So it was totally just tons of anxiety. I didn't know anybody. I was super different from them. Like I had been going to this like hippy dippy private school with really small classrooms that you know, it was just like, you know, I wore a lot of like denim vests <laughs> in mm-hmm. elementary school <laughs> shocking i know um <laughs> uh but yeah i wore a lot of denim vests and uh plaid and like which you know in retrospect i'm like hell yeah i did i was cool as hell but like as a kid going into this like suburban rich area where everybody's wearing like, you know, name brand clothing. And like, that's, that matters to young kids. I had no experience with that. I was just like, I'm weird and and fun and creative. And they were like, you're just weird. So I, I got like totally quiet, just totally withdrew and, uh, didn't really come out of my shell until, you know, I started smoking weed in about eighth grade and that really helped. (laughs) weed helped but but you know so for me it was like I didn't feel confident enough to ask somebody to play music with me I wasn't like hey you want to like come over to my house and watch me suck like that that was my mindset and in fact that that imposter syndrome carried with me up until I decided to go to you know music school which the point of that for me was to cure the imposter syndrome like I'm gonna go learn so that I know for a fact that I know what I'm talking about you know which is you know, I, I regret that to a degree because I feel like a lot of my favorite musicians just like didn't care that they sucked. They just did it anyway. Mm-hmm. And that has a very different trajectory than mine, which was very academic. Like I, I wasn't, I wasn't good because I, I 
just was good. Like I couldn't learn by ear, right? So for me, it was just practicing constantly. It was just, you know, working and working and working to try to like not show up and embarrass myself. You know what I mean? So I never, I never was branching out. Um, and a lot of, a lot of the musicians, like the, the bands in school, like that were around, it was, it was dudes. It was all dudes. Like you didn't really see, you know, um, like we had a lot of, uh, I was in marching band and we had a lot of girls on the drum line, which was awesome. Like, t- like more than half, it was awesome. But, uh, still, even then I'm, I'm, I wasn't about to like, you know, try to play with anybody. I did that later when I just couldn't care anymore. Cause I was just like, I, I want to play. I don't give a shit. I'm going to do this. Um, but it took me a while to build up. So a lot of it was just my poor mother listening to me, you know, try to sh- like, and also like, I wasn't like sitting in the basement with a, like a stereo trying to mimic stuff because I couldn't learn by ear. So I was just like playing things. Um, I remember my first, uh, I didn't have a cymbal stand for my, for my, my one and only cymbal. So I took a pool cue and I duct tape it to duct taped it to our, our uh, dinner chair. And then I put the symbol on the pool cue. Um, and I then sat on a different dinner chair to play the drums and like the pedal I had would like fail every third hit. Like, and that was the best you could get. So you'd be like, pop up, nothing, pop up, nothing. And like, I, I just kept going. I, I, cause I was alone in a basement, you know, and I just, I, so on one hand I'm like really thankful for that because I was able to like be creative in my own way without any influence Mm -hmm. I could take something I learned in class and see like what I could do with it and I just would mad scientist shit until I was like oh that sounds kind of cool that sounds kind of cool um and then like try to remember something I heard off a record one time and like try to play it but it wasn't until I got into school and like learned how to write it down while listening, like literally was taught how to do rhythm dictation in the moment, um, which that that's, you know, that was the thing that unlocked for me there. Like that, that changed my life. Like now I could write down, I could write down Gish for you. I could sit down and like in notation, write down the whole record. And I won't ever do that because that sounds tedious as hell. But, um, but it helped me to be able to visualize what I was playing. So for me, a lot of, a lot of what I play or like when I'm writing, I think of it, uh, almost, almost visually, like I'll think about like, um, I don't necessarily think in notation, but I do think in like shapes, if that makes sense. It's not like, um, Oh God, what's it called? Um, synesthesia. It's not like that at all. It's not like I'm seeing you know waves of purple it's way more boring and nerdy than that i i think like i don't know blocks i guess like i think i think of everything very geometrically um so i i I approach music that i write very geometrically which is kind of a blessing and a curse once again like if i had just not given a shit about being good and just went out and did it i could be I could be doing stuff that I would have never conceived of, you know, like, um, that's why, uh, the double drum band I was in maximum busy muscle 
I love that band so much because I got to play with Mary Joyce, who interviewed for the Desarc episode, who is completely self-taught and plays open-handed and just completely the opposite experience. She had the balls to go, oh, I'm just going to start a band. I don't, it doesn't really matter if I am good or not, which, you know, is, you know, like superhero stuff to me, even now. I'm like, what? You just like went on tour and you didn't even like, how, what? So playing with her is, is, and was super satisfying because she conceives of things that I would never conceive of with all my, you know, academic everything, like, you know, being graded on learning how to play YYZ by Rush, you know, like learning, learning how to play all these like very, you know, you know, uh, proggy things and whatnot and being you know being forced on the stage with like on a stage with whoever to play whatever um and like taking jazz performance which that that was a hilarious thing to watch me do but uh you know like I've done all these like very prescribed things whereas she just plays what's in her head man and it's so fun to take what's in her head and then you know put my shapes around it and like try to bring out what she's doing with with like subtle structure underneath and still not try to like and not try to you know get in her way which was the the, the hardest part because I, I I just I just really want I love I love that I love I love um I, f- I feel like I I really love every every approach you know, there's no wrong approach, especially to the drums. It's, it, I feel like there, you can't do a new thing on the drums. And when I realized that I was like, oh, why am I fucking so worried about it? Like, why am I so, oh no, what if I don't play my role perfect? It's like, everybody's already done it, man. There's not a, a new thing that's going to happen on a drum kit. Not the drum kit that I conceive of, you know, like get, get you a drum machine if you want to make up some, some new sounds, but like straight up, like if you're just playing a kit, don't worry about it. It's all been done. Just, just play what feels good. You know, that's, and that is, that has informed me year after year after year. And I still have to remind myself like, <laughs> like now I'm a Nirvana fan and bleach sounds tough as hell to me. And it's not like that stuff's complicated. Like I can caveman that crap and feel, feel awesome about it, but it, it me it's meaningful. The parts are meaningful because it, it supports the, the feeling. Whereas, you know, when I was young and listening to Jimmy Chamberlain, I was just like more rolls, faster rolls, all the fills, as many fills as possible, you know? Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that my, it was kind of backwards for me, I guess. Um, which I guess has given me a, a more like kind of unique perspective, but also completely, uh, informed by school so it's not unique like I was taught how to play Latin grooves and then I was in a rock band and I was like what if I put a Latin groove here and people are like that's so creative I'm like no actually this is a very old thing that someone very far away made up a very long time ago and I'm just uh gonna put it here and uh you know I don't know I just I, I find that uh people try to People try to invent that you invented something, which is cool on one hand, but it's also like, don't, (laughs) I I almost appreciate it when somebody can pick it out. Like, oh, 
you like Latin grooves. I'm like, yeah, there you go. That's, that's the ticket, but it's, that's like one in a billion that never happens. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. I digress. <laughs> Trey went off here. <laughs> so, uh, so a lot of people seem to fall off the pumpkins after melancholy. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that, uh, was that your experience with the band as well? I would say no, because I wasn't ready to, to let go of that band yet. Like okay. I discovered, like I fully discovered in actuality, the pumpkins in 96, which is, you know, 95, 96, which is mm. smack dab during the melancholy years. Right. That's during that tour, during that promotion cycle. Um, so a door was the next record and i had you know been it's like you read the book series and saw all the movies and then like finally a new one comes out and you're like oh i guess i can actually participate in this now you know it was the first first time i could feel like i can go see them because mm-hmm. i was too young before like i you know my 11 year old ass wasn't going to a pumpkin concert hell no <laughs> i would have gotten into satan way way too early if i had <laughs> Who knows where I'd be now <laughs> but uh but yeah no I uh I felt like the the door backlash was was understandable from the context of like this is a massive guitar rock band and they were they were it was a massive guitar rock band and I will maintain to this day like Billy Corgan is still an innovative guitar player who did really innovative stuff and made some you know some incredible incredible sound man and like and the layering and everything i i just i it, it it's still so unique to me which is why it's so frustrating that it just fell off so much i think a door is a great record in and of itself because it's you know it's a complete departure um in the sense that it's piano focused it's mostly piano there is some synth um and at the time i think they they threw it away as like oh it's a it's like a you know synthy dance record it's like it's not at all it's it's piano compositions primarily and if you listen to that record it's all about uh, most of it is about heartache heartbreak you know losing losing somebody um um but it's also about grief um he lost his mom right before that he wrote that record and that record it makes perfect sense like you go from this like high octane you know in your face you know you know completely just like balls to the wall guitar sound and there's and there's some beautiful tracks on melancholy as well like there's some really truly beautiful songs on there like 33 is still to me just gorgeous song but it makes perfect sense like you have some major loss like that and you just feel like you can't connect to the thing you've been doing i i I went through that i you know i totally understand that so listening to it now um listening to a door now is a different thing uh i didn't get it as a kid i did not um (laughs) the breakup songs are a lot more trite and the songs about grief are like I, I listened to uh, For Martha, which is the song that he wrote specifically for his mother. And I like, I cried, I cried. Like <laughs> a few days ago, I was thinking about it. I was like, God, this is, I, I like thinking about the task of like writing the song that 
you define your relationship with your mother by like that's that's something I can't conceive of and not only that it's just a truly beautiful song and you can really hear his I don't know you can hear the pain in it you really can and um that's that's what makes good art to me you know if you can if you can hear the the authenticity there and I think I think a door has a lot of authenticity and the thing that sucks about the pumpkins now is the lack of authenticity so and and that was that was kind of what fell off it's not and and Adore has a Adore has some you know some like Ava Adore is not a great song like the the single you know it's you'll always be my whore all right okay cool you know and at the time it was like I'm spooky you know this is like right before Marilyn Manson started getting cool so it was it was fun to dress in a bunch of leather and be spooky on the MTV um so yeah it, I get it I get it it sounds very dated now um but Adore, Adore was, I feel like Ava Adore was, was designed to be the single. They, it was very much like, okay, we have to put out something that's hooky and sk spooky, scary, because they'd been kind of like associated with, you know, kind of like a sort of goth-esque vibe, like, you know, a little more so on the, on that side of things. Uh, so it makes sense um, in retrospect, but yeah, I, 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 I hope that people think about that record a little more because it does have some really beautiful, beautiful songs on it. Um, so and, and, and uh, to follow that, like Machina didn't come out for a long time after that. And when Machina came out, I didn't like it at all. I didn't like it at all. I was ready for another high octane rock record, you know, yeah, guitars, guitars, guitars. And the thing is now there are so many guitars on that record. It is, mm. it is. Um, I actually talked to Gene Wolfolk about this as well. He, uh, he was talking about how dreamy the guitars are on that song or on, on any of those songs, like all of those songs. And I, I went back and listened to it and it's like, it's staggering. There's so much going on. Um, it's like shoegaze on steroids, you know, it's, it's all the things that it's all that, you know, my bloody Valentine, influence but super super souped up and just like it's it's otherworldly almost sometimes and um i i like machina so much now i'm like oh my god i actually like really love this record which i did not anticipate because at the time i just it wasn't what i wanted i didn't want pretty dreamy you know guitars i wanted you know riffs i wanted big you know fuzzy riffs that's but uh that's another record that as an adult, just the production. I think, I think, I think the production on Machina might be the best production on any of their records, honestly. Like it's, it's quite a feat what they pulled off. I have no idea how many guitar tracks are on there. There's all kinds of Ebo and all kinds of like so much going on. And it's um, really, really stunning stuff. Is there a particular direction that you you wish they would go do you I, I know that a lot was made uh, about them getting back together and it was going to be the original lineup and then yeah. that didn't actually happen yeah um it, it, is there a direction that you wish that they would head or do you do you just wish that they would be <laughs> as you said like more authentic um 
I think it's too late for anything to be resurrected. Like you've got like James Hehaw is back in the band, and that's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Mm. It doesn't matter. Like their their new their new record is a synth pop record, and I have no problem with synth pop. I like I like that, but it <laughs> you know, and you can see it in the video. Like just just go watch any new Smashing Pumpkins video, and it just it everybody just looks dead inside man like even in the video like paying tons of money for a big fancy video for your big fancy release and it's like god you guys just look tired you look you look really worn out and if dealing with that ego for that long man i don't and even with a like 20 year break in the middle like holy shit or whatever it was but yeah no i uh if if i had my way if i had if i had my way after Machina, because I would put Machina back in, back in as, as of now, I would, I would put Machina just where it is. Um, and I would have loved, even if they had gone full, like shoegazy, that would have been really neat. That could have been really cool. Um, I said a lot after, you know, they broke up, they started, uh, Billy Corgan started Zwan and um i went to see zwan that's how in denial i was dude that's how in denial i went to see zwan and oh man also david paho was in that band mm-hmm. like he was in that band i was like oh and like i <laughs> this is so not cool this is like the least cool thing you'll ever hear me say out loud that's not true anyway i got into slint because i read that billy corgan likes slint that's how I got into Slint, which is not cool. That's lame. <laughs> but I, I got there, right? I got there. So, you know, I, you know, I, I start thinking I'm super, super cool because I'm just in the spider land all the time. And I'm just like really getting into this. And, you know, I find out that dude is going to be in the new band and the new single comes out and it's kind of like perfect from a door, which I like that song. It's, which is kind of like 1979, right? Like, these are the the unfuckwithable, like 1979 is an unfuckwithable song. I think we can all agree. Like that is a masterful pop song. Like if you don't like 1979, you don't like pop music. That's my opinion. It, and you can hate Billy Corgan's voice, whatever. You can, you know, it's the cure argument, right? You hate Robert Smith because you hate his voice, but like try not to get those songs in your head. Just try, um, you know, so you have perfect which is also a great song still i i really like that one as well and then you have whatever i can't even remember what this one one was which sucks this is i didn't do my homework well enough dude i didn't i should have <laughs> listened to that damn Zwan record it's i don't okay. hate myself enough i guess um that Zwan record is cooler than the new pumpkins record gonna definitely say that um but it was kind of kind of like perfect and i was like oh cool like yeah, they're putting out the super poppy thing first and then it's going to be like, hell yeah, guitars. And it was the beginning of the end. That band was the, that band was the, was the, the, the tra- where it go- went off the track. Um, and I don't know exactly where that happened, but all of a sudden, all these songs are about God um very explicitly about god and then they're also very explicitly about love but like which isn't weird because everybody writes about love but like the word love is very exaggerated in the zwan on the zwan record and then he never stops doing that the way he says love i swear i know it sounds like so nitpicky but like 
<laughs> the way he talks about love in his songs now is the most trite and soulless way to speak of love to me, which is not the same as before because like you you know you listen to all these songs prior and you've got like uh, you know even mayonnaise on Siamese dream beautiful love song like Luna um lots lots of really and like a lot of melancholy and adore as well like these are love songs like these are songs about actual connection and loss and the whole the whole bit um and now it's just like the concept of love is now co-opted into this strange like I don't know it sounds like it sounds like he's trying to uh prophesize or you know talk I don't know like give a sermon about it or something um and it just it didn't resonate with me at all um I couldn't relate to it anymore because you know I was still too angsty (laughs) I I wish that was a joke but it's not (laughs) I needed more angst um because it wasn't just like oh Billy Corgan's happy now here's some happy tunes like we know what that sounds like it wasn't that you know, it was, it was a huge departure and the vocal tracks got really loud, mm. like way on top. And that has stayed that way. It is never actually going back. Um, uh, Oceana or Ia, I haven't decided if it's Oceana or Oceana. Ia. It should be Oceana, right? Um, he buries, the vocals are a little bit more old school, like, closer to what it was before but there is a huge departure from Machina to Zwan it's like and not in the sense that it's like oh this is a new band with new people and it should sound new but it's very clearly like you are now in Billy Corgan's band and Billy Corgan wants you to play these things and if you don't want to do that he's going to record it for you and you can go on tour or not and we will have a female bass player no matter what. Um, which, you know, at the time as a kid, I was like, yeah, cool. Like there's a lady in the band. But then I realized like, okay, so we've replaced Darcy with Melissa Oftumar from Hole. And she's the shit. I saw her live. She was great. Um, very dynamic on stage. And then it's pause from from uh, a perfect circle i think was mm-hmm. was the next was in swan and she was cool she was really good like everybody in swan even when i saw them live looked like they were just kind of hanging through it you know mm. the first time i see david paho he just looks like he would rather be anywhere else in the whole world and it was just not not i was so bummed out so bummed out um and i really tried i really really wanted to like it I, I wanted to like it so bad that I listened to it a lot. Um, and I just, I don't know. I was like, oh, well, you know, it's like, you know, it's like Paul McCartney goes and does wings, right? Like, <laughs> it's fine. It's, 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 it's the departure record. It's whatever it's, but yeah, um, pumpkins come back and no matter how much fuzz they try to put on it, there's just some element that is destroyed and it um it never feels the same and it's not it's not just the people involved it's the it's the actual tangible emotion that is conveyed and part of it is that the vocals are way too loud because you know 
smartly, <laughs> uh, a lot of producers were like, hey, what if we bury all of that that you're doing under all of your guitars, all of your 500 guitar tracks? And that was, you know, the way it, that was how it sounded at the time anyway. So it worked out really nicely that Billy Corgan's, you know, thing was, you know, meshed underneath. Um, but yeah, and his vocal style changed so drastically. And like, when I, when I went back and listened to everything, I tried really hard to, to separate that. I tried to not think about his vocal at all. But there are moments where you just can't. You just can't even think about like, what's the bass doing now? What's the drummer doing now? Because it's so fucking annoying. It's just grating. And I, and I tried y'all, I tried to like Zwan. This is me. Like I went and saw him solo. I had his poetry book. No one tried harder than me. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I really, I really, I, I really wanted it to get better. Um, and it just never did. And I made a, I made, I made a joke and promised to myself, like, I'm going to listen to every new pumpkins record when it comes out, no matter how bad it is. And I do, I always do. I still do. I listen to it all the way through. And I, I, I think, why do I hate myself so much? <laughs> and it's because I'm a smashing pumpkins fan. I think, I don't know. I don't know which came first, you know, <laughs> I was taught self-loathing by those records at a very young The Operative is produced in conjunction with Radio Note. For more information, visit radionope.com. And for all of our past episodes, visit theoperative.bandcamp.com. Thank you.